Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud and Out podcast. We are your hosts, Andreas and Michael Wittig. And this podcast is all about AWS. And we share here our insights into AWS that we basically get by our day-to-day -day work, which is more or less 100% AWS related. And this is episode number 74, and we are recording this on March 16th in 2023. And in case you are watching this live on YouTube, feel free to ask your questions in the chat and we will answer your questions um, at the at the end of the show. You can also like watch this on LinkedIn, and if you have any questions there, you can um, uh, add a comment uh, there, and we will uh, make sure to read them before we close the show. And also you can at any time uh, send us your feedback or your questions on Mastodon, uh, Twitter, or via email. So those are your options to get in touch with us and ask us your AWS questions so that we can answer them here in the show. Besides that, Andreas, what we usually do here is that we share what we learned in the past week when working with AWS. And I think uh, you have a couple of things on your list, Andreas, so that's why I hand it over to you now. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, so actually I was working um, on something and the idea is that we need to distribute um, data to a three buckets worldwide. Um, so the idea behind that is our customers should be able to download the data from the region they are running their workload in. So our idea was to use S3 buckets, so one in each region, and uh, uh, synchronize basically the data to all those buckets, and then uh, our customers can download the data from within their region. Uh, because the beauty of that is um, that um, you're not paying for uh, the data uh, transfer from an S3 bucket to uh, the local region, to the same region. Uh, so that's basically the idea behind that. And um, so uh, we have done that before. And our first implementation is or was um, using S3 um, cross-region replication. So that's a built-in feature for S3. And basically, uh, you can turn it on and say, I want to replicate changes in this bucket to this list of other buckets. And then whenever you, for example, create a new object in the bucket, um, S3 will automatically take care of replicating that change to all the other buckets in the other regions that you have configured. And we have been using that for a while and it's, um, it's working fine. But uh, I had the issue um, that I need to rely on the uh, read after write consistency of S3. So a few years ago, AWS introduced that uh, so that basically now all our GET requests uh, are consistent after write requests. And um, the thing is, I need to rely on that uh, for, for this scenario. Yeah? So this was important to me. However, the problem with S3 replication is um, that there are no guarantees uh, around the replication. So, there, so it replicates the data, but you don't know how long it takes. Uh, I think we don't even know in which order the changes get applied. So I don't think there is a guarantee uh, that this is uh, in order as well. Uh, so, so overall, basically, uh, through replication is great, but it breaks um, this read-after-write consistency that I need uh, in, in this scenario. Um, that was, uh, I was basically um, yeah, just using S3 application, but then I, I stumbled upon this issue. And um, now the thing that I have to do, or that I'm doing is now I'm basically doing the replication on my own. 
which means I'm uh, copying the data uh, from one point to all these uh, three buckets, um, basically with uh, with a script. Um, yeah, that's of course, um, yeah, a little more error prone, or I need to ma monitor that closely. But the advantage is um, that I get um, then the read after write consistency, so I can be sure that um, when the files uh, the files are uh, yeah, stored and then available in, in the order that I create them. Yeah, so that was my uh, learning around um, a three replication and when, when you should be careful uh, using that. Yeah, um, and and that's a a good a good thing to keep in mind that that if you if you somehow rely on on a order of files or something, then then you you have to deal with that problem if you use S three. Um, uh, replication and and I think another kind of reason for us to not use it actually is that it's actually quite expensive. There's a kind of way to kind of make it a little bit quicker. Like think there, I don't know how the feature is actually called, but there's like a way to kind of make it um, replicate within 15 minutes in 99.99% mm -hmm. of the uh, cases or something with an SLA, and we turned that on as well. Uh, and this makes it a little bit more expensive. Um, so uh, for us, very, I mean, our use case is really we replicate maybe 100 files or something. It's not like mm. massive uh, amounts of, of files, but for us, it's important that certain files are replicated after the other files are done and things like that. Yeah. So um, that's definitely a good catch, Andreas. And um, it is actually a an issue that we uh, actually have in, in production and now it's kind of resolved. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what I learned, or to, to be honest, I didn't learn it and uh, kind of for the first time. I, I, I just was remembered uh, that this is a big problem. It's a performance test on an uh, EC2 instance. Um, and we wrote about this um, like for years, Andreas. The problem with performance testing on AWS is that more or less everything is elastic or burstable. So... The first thing that is burstable, and this is obvious, if you're using a T2, T3, or T4 instance type, then your CPU is burstable. And I mean, if you if you run a performance test with a burstable CPU, then your numbers are kind of, what they don't tell you much, basically. So you have to be careful. And what I did this time, like from the beginning, because I, I was aware of that problem, I configured um, the T3 instance to run in or without the unlimited mode. And there's big differences between two T2 and T3 instances. A T2 instance receives a certain amount of burst credits uh, when it starts. This means when, you, when the machine starts, you can burst for a specific period of time. A T3 does not receive any burst credit credits when it starts. It starts accumulating burst credits um, when it's not uh, kind of at at full running at at full capacity at the baseline capacity, and so you kind of can gain credits. But there's another feature that's turned on by default that's called unlimited. And with unlimited, you basically can buy credits when you are out of credits. So for a an additional charge, you get burst credits basically um, to kind of solve this problem uh, if you are in a situation where you don't have credits left. So. What I did in my test is that I disabled the unlimited mode um, so that I know that I have only the baseline capacity available from the start. So I can run my test now on baseline capacity and then I can also turn on unlimited and I can run it at full capacity basically. And 
running it at full capacity still is a problem because you're not guaranteed to get those credits, right? I mean, if you're running on a host that is busy uh, without the T3s, um, then you are um, uh, out of luck. So this is the first really big issue that you have to think about, the CPU um, elasticity if you're running a T3 instance. I mean, you can fix that problem by going to an M5 or something like anything else than a T instance family, and you don't have this issue anymore. Um, so the next problem with M5s, for example, also with T instances, is that the network is burstable. So the smaller instance types, and when I say smaller, this applies to 2x large instances. Um, they are still not big uh, in these terms. Um, they have burst capacity on the network as well as baseline capacity on the network. So when you just run your performance test for 30 minutes and net the network is the bottleneck in, in your application, then your application looks much faster than it actually is at, at, at the long term. So keep this in mind. There is no really good way to observe that behavior. So you cannot really look at the credits here. There's no credit mechanism that you can see from the outside. Um, so you basically have to ensure that you kind of, at the beginning of when a machine starts, you kind of burst all the network capacity out of the machine, basically. So download a really large file for 20 or 30 minutes then look, to, look at the cloud.graph graph that it kind of goes down. Then you know you are out of credits. And then you run your workload or your performance test. And <clears throat> it gets even um, more problematic if you're using EBS volumes, which is the default, because they also have burst capabilities. So if your workload is disk bound, and then you also have to make sure that you're looking at those metrics. And the good thing here is that they are available uh, today uh, or these days. Uh, so you can have or you get insights into that. So just making sure if you run a performance test, you have to keep all that things in mind. So my recommendation, therefore, is that you run your tests for a longer period, not just for a couple of minutes, like for hours. And double check your data, like the data that you get out of your test with your understanding or your assumptions of how this AWS thing works. So you would expect that it is quicker than the beginning and then it slows down over time. And, and if that doesn't happen, then you maybe double check everything. And um, otherwise you get numbers that, that are just wrong in the end. So I hope that makes any sense, Andreas. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good thing. So Michael, I remember uh, one um, huge outage that was caused after a migration from on-premises to AWS. And uh, that's basically going in the same direction because here again, the thing was... Um, the, the, the team planned the lift and shift migration. They did performance tests of well because it was a very busy business critical system and everything looked fine. And then I think it was on a the weekend, they um, migrated the workload to AWS. Uh, everything looked fine. And on Monday, after a few hours, the whole system basically broke down and the throughput was uh, basically crashing down. Arrows were thrown, stuff like that. No one could use the system anymore. And this was for a similar reason. Um, again, I think in this case it was uh, at the end um, because of the EBS volume uh, throughput was uh, basically just uh, going through the credits and then dropping to the baseline performance, which was um, yeah far below what was needed. Um, and so I think, yeah, it is really, really important if you do performance testing of uh, any kind of system on AWS, you definitely have to run the, the load test for, at le I would say, at least one hour or better, a few hours, uh, to really make sure that you're not running in any of those uh, burstable um, 
resource uh, things. Yeah, that's that's definitely uh, important, and <laughs> you cannot uh, you cannot relearn that uh, enough. <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's a good thing. Uh, thanks for sharing, um, Michael. I. Uh, I've learned about another feature of uh, AWS. It's related to EC2 instances. And um, I, have, I have been looking uh, for a way to um, authenticate uh, EC2 instances um, on a third, from a third-party system uh, point of view. So basically, uh, I build an API, and I needed to um, authenticate calls from EC2 instances. And as this is not running um, um, in the same account or something, using IAM roles or something um, uh, was not an option here. So I was looking for a different solution. And um, it turns out that there is a thing called EC2 identity document. And um, what is that? Uh, so basically, the uh, EC2 identity document is something, um, yeah, it's basically the ID card uh, of your EC2 instance. Um, in the instance identity document, there are, um, you find information like the AWS account ID of the instance, the instance ID, the instance type, um, the billing product. So if you start something from the marketplace, you get the information about the, the product that you use. Um, yeah, stuff like that, the region, IP address, and, and some other things. So basically, you get information about the EC2 instance in the instance document. And you can use that to identify um, a machine because AWS also uh, signs that document. So you get a signature that you can then verify. And AWS shares the, the keys for that uh, in their documentation. Um, and so this is a way to implement an authentication of uh, EC2 instances. And I was using that for basically implementing the, the uh, authentication layer for an API gateway. Uh, serverless application and um, yeah I think that is that's kind of interesting and if I if I so I went I was reading through the internet a little bit and I found that uh, I think if I understood it correctly HashiCorp uh, with Vault is using that mechanism as well to uh, authenticate EC2 instances and I think I've also seen that uh, a few years ago when I was talking with Vault um, so this is uh, I think interesting yeah so whenever you need to identify uh, EC2 instances, for example, make sure that they are running in your account or something and making calls to your third-party systems on-prem or, where, or wherever. Uh, this, this might be an interesting way to identify uh, those EC2 instances. Basically, use the document and then the, um, the signature, um, um, the signed thing by, by AWS. Um, yeah, so that is what I uh, was using. It's um, you find um, there are different ways, different signature options, and um, yeah, so this is, uh, I think, an, an interesting thing to know about, at least. Yeah, and Andreas, I think I wrote a blog post about that uh, a couple of, I think, years ago as well. This is very useful oh. for machine-to-machine -machine authentication, right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you, if you plan anything uh, in that uh, kind of field, then definitely check out the identity document, because this is a verified identity document that you get that you can really be sure that this is the instance that claims to be the instance and that's really helpful um, if you if you have systems that 
where you cannot use an IAM role uh, to authenticate, like if you talk to maybe other clouds or maybe data centers and stuff like this, and you want to go one level like further, not just network uh, access control, but also strong authentication. That's really cool. A uh, feature that we get in the cloud, I mean, that's that's really handy. Mm. Yeah, so I think the it's a sometimes so the question is do you can you basically use one of the the the, the data in the identity document is that enough to identify the instance so either uh, as account id or something is that really enough because you don't have a, a information about the im role or something so you cannot really group instances in in the account or something so yeah as far as this is enough then um i think that's a good way or if the instance id is enough that's also uh, a possible thing you could use. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Michael, I have I have one more thing. So, I stumbled mm. upon um, a few. I think a few months ago, I filled out the um, uh, AWS survey um, that um, um, Peter Sankowskas was running. So, I think he is an AWS hero for for quite a long time and very active in the community. And he was doing a community uh, survey to find out which AWS services are popular and stuff like that. So I found that quite interesting. So I filled out the survey. And uh, yesterday, um, uh, Peter um, published the results of the survey. And I found that quite interesting. And maybe we can uh, go over that uh, together. Uh, we can also um, I'll paste the, the link uh, into the chat and into the show notes uh, so that uh, you can follow along as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's go uh, maybe through that. So the interesting things, uh, there's one uh, category, infrastructure as code. And what I found really interesting is that, so uh, I think uh, more than 300 people replied to the survey. I don't know. <laughs> just, that's not too bad, I would say. Uh, what, what I found interesting is that 82% of them are using CloudFormation, which is the far uh, the most popular infrastructure as code tool <laughs> uh, from the usage perspective. So which tools are you using? Um, then, uh, the t then it's Terraform and um, Ansible CDK. So that's the, the order of uh, which tools are in use. And uh, what I also think it's, it's interesting that um, the, the tool that most people want to try or want to learn about is obviously, Michael, which is it? Um, CDK. CDK. Yeah, CDK, yeah. of course. So that's what <laughs> uh, US is really pushing hard. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so that's the, that's the thing, the hot new thing that everyone is uh, interested in. But um, at the moment, um, less than half of the of uh, the the survey uh, respondents have been using it um, so that's uh, probably growing uh, over the next few years uh, i found this interesting also and uh, the next category was about ci cd <laughs> and here's really it's really cool um the the most popular uh, tool from a usage perspective so which tool are you using at the moment is jenkins <laughs> and uh, what 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 it's uh, more interesting is the, the tool that the people are most um, um, yeah, happy with is uh, GitLab ac GitHub Actions. Uh, so 99% of the people who are using GitHub Actions will uh, are planning to continue to do so. So they're not planning to switch away to any other tool. So that's I think that fits into our uh, observation. Mm -hmm. We are also um, migrating to GitHub Actions nowadays and uh, are very happy with that. Um, so I found that interesting. Then um, another interesting thing is um, the question was, how do you basically deploy serverless applications? 
And um, the most popular option here is the serverless framework uh, and um, AWS SAM sort of serverless application. Is it serverless application model, I think, mm -hmm. which translates to CloudFormation at the end. And um, then behind that is then CDK. So again, uh, everyone is talking about CDK those days, but really the tools in use are the good old ones, <laughs> the serverless framework and, uh, and SAM. I found that um, kind of interesting. And um, one more thing that I, um, I didn't expect maybe, so is um, the, what are the event-driven architecture um, services that people are using? And the most popular ones, one here is uh, SNS and SQS. Um, so, um, and um, Kinesis and EventBridge are less common uh, used than, than those two options. I found that uh, interesting. So we are using Kinesis um, and actually I don't, yeah, SNS is probably, yeah, because it's probably a, an older service and has been a, around for some time. EventBridge is, is uh, not that popular yet. Yeah, so I found that uh, interesting um, to see uh, how things are changing there. Um, yeah, maybe one last uh, topic, the co container workloads. So which, which tools are people using to run containers? Um, so 77% are saying they're using ECS. And compared to that, only 46% uh, say they're using EKS. And uh, so I think that is also uh, interesting um, to see um, what are people using to, to deploy their container workloads. That's interesting. I didn't expect that, though. Yeah, me neither, because EKS and Kubernetes is so, so you a lot of blog posts, a lot of uh, content around that, and but what people are, yeah. pro it seems like what people are using is ECS. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, I found that interesting. So I think what is what would be cool um, to to repeat that survey next year and then compare the results and see which services are growing and how the, um, the yeah. The, the things change over time. Yeah. All okay, right, Michael. Um, so that's it. Uh, we will be back. Um, subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, or YouTube channel to make sure you're not missing the upcoming shows. Uh, we are looking for your feedback. So hello at cloudonout.io or find us on LinkedIn or Mastodon. Um, yes, and we also, sorry for that, uh, we also want to thank our supporters and who make the show possible. And if you are uh, a fan of the show, please consider supporting us as well. And there are a couple of options and you can all find them on cloudonautio slash um, um, support us. You will also find the links in the show notes. So thank you very much for, for watching this and listening uh, to uh, the podcast and uh, have a great day. And uh, uh, the last thing I have to say is bye. <laughs> bye.